We're in Romans chapter 4, because it's really a great biblical example of justification by faith. One of the things that Paul does is, as he's talking to uh, Jews and he's talking to Gentiles both in the Roman church, he's realizing that there are a lot of cultural issues. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, not only cultural issues, but there's a lot of heart issues. And there's a lot of, well, you know, I don't know if I can believe that or I can believe this, and I don't know if I'm going to follow that. I want something to make me feel good. Um, or this is what I feel. I feel this. I feel that I'm right because of, of, of Abraham, and I feel what is right because of, of what the Old Testament has told me. But they've really lost connection with the, what it really is teaching there's a tremendous, like, feeling-based identity that has taken hold in our culture. It's not really taken hold because it's something that's new. It's, it's something that really is old that's been just reworked and repackaged for us to then unwrap all over again. And we're really having to deal with that. And, and there's this assumption that if it doesn't feel good, then it must not be good. And so we fight really hard for something to change our feelings. And we want to do that. And so this feeling-based identity is really trying to take root in the Christian identity. And I say Christian identity because we're supposed to follow Christ. And following Christ doesn't always feel good, right? But it leads to that which is good because Christ is our good. We have a culture, we have a society that says, I feel so God must be. And so they change God based on how they feel. Or we have uh, this statement I hear a lot, I feel so you must give or you must supply because this is what I feel. So we have a lot of those arguments today. Thanks, uh, I am so thankful for God's working through the Holy Spirit to give us Romans chapter 4, because it really kind of helps a lot with this. And so as we look at this, and I pray that it would open our eyes to this understanding of our works, our feelings, our flesh, and the things of our nature, that it would instruct us to help us uh, as we engage with our culture so we can engage it, not based on how we feel, but based on, on who God is, and we can bring that to them. But of course, it has to rule our heart also. If it doesn't rule our heart, we can't bring it to our culture. So let's pray that God's word would reign in our hearts and control our minds this morning. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of reading your word. We thank you that you have testified, that you have given us a witness to your salvation, to our need, and how that has come about, the power of the Holy Spirit that, that opens up our hearts to our greatest need, to have our sins forgiven. That it has happened, it has taken place through your Son who is obedient to you. And Lord, that great fellowship that you have together and have testified through your son's great work, dying on the cross and rising again to be our, 
to be our propitiation, to be our stand-in, to stand in and take all your wrath against our sin. I pray that that realization would help us to understand and to open our hearts and our minds to what we are about to read. Help us uh, to learn about works and rituals and religion and thoughts and feelings, how not to let them to take captive our heart. But may, Lord, we surrender our heart to you, looking and longing for you, loving you with our heart, that we might then love one another. Thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 4, we looked at already verses 1 through 8, but we're going to read 1 through, eight, uh, 1 through 12 and looking at verses um, 1 through 12, and we're going to get a lesson on circumcision this morning. It says in verse 1, because I don't have my... I'm, I'm, I'm rebelling against glasses, so... <laughs> Bear with me as I, I move into proper position <laughs> to read. So um, I, I'm struggling. I, I'm going to get there one of these days. Uh, verse 1, it says, What then shall we say has, was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to his flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith has been counted as righteous. Just as David, who speaks the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal for the righteousness that, had been, that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. There's a lot of befores and after. A lot of, be, you know, a proper order of things means a lot, doesn't it? For all of you that are very administrative, you know what I'm speaking about. There's, and there's an order to things. Things are out of order, are out of order, right? 
Those of you that are mechanics, and mechanically speaking, you know that there's a proper order to all things. And when things get out of order, even though the things after something are all seem right, it's not right. It doesn't work. There's a lot of before and after in this language. And the key word is still, we see 11 times, and that is, and it destroys this work system because what, how things have been accredited to our account. God's righteousness was accredited to our account or declared right on the basis of faith, trusting in his work, trusting in what he did, that our heart is surrendered to the work of God and not after our selfishness. It's not about what we want. It's not about our work. It's not about what we feels right to us, but it's solely based on what is right in God's eyes. The verb here of being counted, that again, what we talked about last week is what this means to our salvation is that righteousness that saves us from our sin is a righteousness that God must judiciously credit or reckon or calculate to our person, to us. I don't know about you, but this is the idea here is that we wake up every day and we go to to our account and we look and we're like, praise the Lord for his righteousness that is there in my account. Just as David saying in the Psalms, you know, uh, his mercies are renewed every morning. I used to hate it when it said early in the morning. I used to hate that. Early in the morning doesn't seem so bad now that I wake up at 3, 3.30 in the morning. It's like I'm, I'm waking up before early now. <laughs> but here's the thing. We can't put righteousness in our account. It doesn't work that way because we have no righteousness to give. There is none righteous, no, not one. What we're learning in our text is here is, is that the religious ritual of circumcision was a problem in the early church. Circumcision being that it was the mark uh, that was given to every Israelite to identify them, to set them apart, to say that they were sanctified, set apart, and as a sign, we're going to hear about that in a little bit, but that they knew that they were Israel, that they were Jewish, that they were a Jew. It was a mark, it was a cutting of the foreskin uh, on the male body, so then that way they knew that they were Israel. And that seal and that mark was distributed to the family through the male. And that's what it was. was, And there was this ritual circumcision that happened on the eighth day when they were born for every male. And that made them, in their eyes, a part of God's family, set apart as God's chosen people. And, they, and there was this ritual, and because of this ritual, they thought because they had this ritual sign that they were declared right and they were saved and they were in good standing with the Lord. And it became a distraction. And it became a problem in the early church. Acts 15.1. It says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so there became this thing, it's like, well, you have to have circumcision, and then you can be saved. 
And there, there was this idea. And we see later on, as the church began to flourish, we see the same problem. Unless you're baptized, then you're not saved. Another sign, another mark of being a part of God's family. And in fact, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul makes the same thing. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we, but notice his classification here, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. The circumcised are putting all their confidence of their salvation in the flesh and not in their heart. Their flesh, they said, belonged to God, but their heart and their feelings and their emotions did not. They didn't surrender to God. In fact, Paul goes on to say he calculates it as rubbish. He uses the same word as in our text. He accredited all the things of the flesh, the the circumcision and the mark of the flesh, he counted or credited to his count as rubbish, as negative. Do you get that? When you read Philippians 3, you'll see it. He uses the same word as here, that we say that God accredited or declared us right and gave us all of his righteousness, which covers all of our negative balance in life. It's pretty amazing. So we see that circumcision was a major issue with the Jews. They couldn't get over this fact. They were like, wait a minute. Uh, and there was a lot of people that said, yeah, we see what Christ did. We, 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 can, we can attest to all the things that you're saying, but we have to have the circumcision. If you don't have the circumcision, then you're not really a part of the family. In fact, they would go on to say that they were, will accept the Gentiles as long as you circumcise them. And so Paul is using this text here he's saying look let's ask a few questions and let's think about this when was Abraham declared right in God's eyes you say man this is so like I said I'm gonna I'm I'm, this is a lecture on circumcision and then I have three points at the very end that's not in your notes so you're like oh my goodness we're never gonna get out of here (laughs) trust me we will If you are an uncircumcised Jew, this is the major problem. If you're an uncircumcised Jew, you are not considered to even be a Jew, even if you had Jewish parents. So you had Jewish parents, you didn't get circumcised, then you were an outcast. So you see how major this was becoming. They were like, you can't add these people to the church. You can't bring these people to the synagogue because they're they're not circumcised. They're not saved. And just start thinking about that. Maybe you've heard that language before. Well, they can't be a part because they don't have. They can't do this because they don't have this or they don't do that, right? But here's the reality. This is what was going on in the early church. If you were an uncircumcised Gentile, you were not even permitted entrance into the synagogue. So you can just see all the battle that was beginning to take place. If you grew up in this ritualistic system that everything was based on law and based on on your circumcision, based on fulfilling all of the, the rituals 
and doing all of the, the, um, the barbecues where you didn't get to eat any of it. You just had to throw the meat over there and you had to sacrifice all of these animals. You can understand that things were getting to be muddied and the thinking was hard. What we see here is this is Paul's main point. His main point of these verses is that Abraham was not justified by the right of circumcision. He's like, guys, think about this. Go back to your Old Testament. Go back to the law and look at it. Was he really, you know, was his circumcision the reason he was justified? But he was credited righteousness that God gave him by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about that last week. Abraham had a personal faith in Christ. He knew Christ, he knew the work of Christ, and he put his faith and trust in that. In the book of Romans, we have three legitimate ways that you can interpret circumcision. The problem is, is that because there are three legitimate ways to look at it, it can get confusing. So context, 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 right? So how do you know which one is which? Well, you got to read the whole chapter. Um, uh, uh, you know, the old, the old adage, I know Howard Hendricks and a few other guys and some old, old timers, they used to say, in order to have 20-20 vision, you read 20 verses before and 20 verses after. That's the safe bet to get the proper context. Hey, don't underestimate reading a whole chapter before or a whole chapter after. Just, just get in there and look at it. What we see is that circumcision may be interpreted symbolically, representing a, believer's, um, representing a believer versus an unbeliever, right? And we see that in, in Romans uh, chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. It says this, it says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outwardly and physical. So he's drawing a connection between what circumcision is or should be. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. It's about the heart. So he's saying this is the circumcision that he's talking about. He's using the term circumcision to be, to be set apart is a heart issue, right? But then he goes on and he talks about circumcision may be interpreted nationally. In verse 30 of chapter 3, he says this, Since God is one... Who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? And, he's, and in the verses before and after, he's talking about this, this national aspect, whether you belong or you don't belong. And then there's the literal. Circumcision may be interpreted literally, referring to the literal, physical, religious rite of circumcision, which is the foreskin of the male is removed. And so it's, it's literal, physical circumcision. This is where the Jews were caught. They were caught on the national, and they were caught on the literal. They didn't realize that God meant it to be the circumcised of the heart. That's why David says, it's not, the, it's not the, the sacrifices that you require, but it is my heart that you desire. He knew. David knew. That's why he wrote Psalm 32. Abraham knew, and so we see this, is when Abraham, Abraham was, when was he circumcised? That's the very first question in verse 9 and 10. This is a great question. So when was Abraham 
circumcised in regard to being declared by God as righteous. Well, here's the thing. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. If you go back in Genesis and start counting all the numbers, Abraham was about 85 when he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, so we have a... That's when God said he was declared right. Genesis 16, 16. He says, we know that when Hagar bore Ishmael, which was not correct, which was adultery, Abraham was 86, which occurred when he was still declared right in God's eyes because of his previous faith. So he didn't do something that was right even after he was declared righteous. But here's the other thing. is In Genesis 17.25, when Abraham was physically circumcised, he was 99 years old. That's, that's quite amazing. <laughs> right? God says, I want you to be circumcised. That, that's crazy. At 99. So when was he declared right? Before or after circumcision class? Before. So did circumcision have any effect on his righteousness? Right, because it wasn't his righteousness. It was de- he was declared right because it was accredited to his count through his trust and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. Same as today. When, we, when God saves us, he does circumcise our heart. He sets us aside and he sanctifies us. It's amazing. It's the same today as it was then. Right? Abraham was not, circ- was not circumcised before his calculated justification or be declared right or counted as right. He was circumcised after his declaration of justification. Well, that brings to another question then. We've answered verse uh, 9 and 10. We've answered the first question of Paul. But now we get down here to, to verse 11, the first part. So we ask this question. What was Abraham's circumcision? What was it? If, he, if God said, I want you to be circumcised, it was after he was declared right, well, we, we know that because he was declared right, he, he had a love for God, and he had a relationship with God, and he desired to be obedient to God. So he followed through with that obedience. But here are two things. Is what was the actual circumcision? And it was this. In the first part, it says, Abraham's circumcision was a sign. Well, what is that? A sign. A sign was a distinguishing mark, just like in... 2 Thessalonians 3.17. It's a distinguishing mark. It's in Old Testament times. This was a distinguishing mark that one was an Israelite. It was a distinguishing mark to show that they were Jewish or that they were Israel. So it was a sign, not justification. Abraham's circumcision was a seal. What's a seal? This should sound familiar, by the way. If you've studied Ephesians, you've come across these exact same terms. Abraham's circumcision was a seal. A seal always is something that, because of a distinguishing mark, but a seal is is something, if someone wanted to mark something as his, so he put a seal on it. So if we see all the time that in, in Roman times, they had coins, right? And what did they do? It was marked 
with who on it? Caesar. And when a new Caesar came to power, there was a new what? There was a new seal. So the old seal had, had less value. The new seal had more value. When somebody wanted to say that this one is mine, he put a seal on it. Does that sound familiar? God gave us the Holy Spirit not only as a sign, as we read in 1 John, but in Ephesians, he says he gave it to us as a seal to put a stamp on our life to declare that you belong to the Lord. If we consider all the facts, if we consider all what we learn here about circumcision, just in a small way, I could, I could, we could go a lot further. We just don't have the time to do that. It's a whole other class of history. And there's a lot of theological things that we can chase But considering just the basic facts that we have before us right now, we may conclude that Abraham's circumcision was an identifying mark that would demonstrate that Abraham had had brought and was bringing his faith in the Messiah through his lineage of people. His mark would come through the reproductive process of the Jewish people. Not that they were justified because he was bringing it, but that he, the seal, that he was, his goal was to bring this message of reconciliation, this message of justification. It wasn't that just because Hebrew produced that everyone that came from him would be justified, but that he had the seal and the sign and he had the message. So how do we know that? Well, this answers. The next question, oh, I forgot to put it up. The next question at the end of verse 11 is, why was Abraham circumcised? Why was he circumcised? Was this a sign? Was this so that he could show to the uncircumcised Gentile that he was right with God before circumcision? Abraham was justified by faith, while uncircumcised. This shows any person that they can be right with God simply by faith. Abraham is our father. Abraham is our father just as he is a father to the Jewish nation. When God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and he declared that covenant because he put, and he did all the work for that covenant because he put Adam asleep, put him aside, and he walked through the blood, and he declared that through you I will bless, and through your seed I will multiply your seed is, is the number of, of the sands of the sea, and I will make you a blessing to all peoples. The blessing that would come through Abraham, the sign of justification being declared right before God came through Abraham to bless both the Gentiles and the Jews so that Abraham could show to the circumcised Jew that he was right with God before circumcision by faith. God wanted everyone to be able to walk in faith. Abraham walked in faith. All of Abraham's good deeds was simply because of his faith 
in the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ. His faith was in, in them, and so he walked by faith. It's a, an amazing aspect. Salvation is not by circumcision or baptism or confession or confirmation. Salvation is by God's judicial addition to our account by faith alone. That judicial declaration of crediting our account with his righteousness. Salvation is by faith alone. We say, what is, Paul is doing us this huge lesson on, circ, on circumcision and justification. Why is this so important? How does this help us? How does this bless us this morning? What can we take away from it? And first of all, that salvation is by faith alone, wholly apart from human ceremony of any kind. This is the message that needs to be repeated over and over and over again. Because we can inadvertently place something as more important than God's work. Over time, if we don't keep drumming this message that it's all based on Christ alone, we sang that song, in Christ alone. We've been justified. His righteousness has been credited to our account by Christ alone and faith alone. We find that in Scripture alone. All the solas. That's a whole other lesson in and of itself. But those who come to God must come by way of faith. A lot of times we get things out of order. And we're like, well, this ritual makes me feel good. I love it. I love this ritual. And we, we look for rituals to appease our emotions and our feelings. And, and it makes me good. And people inadvertently follow after those things and they forget it's, it's about Christ. And they put all the emphasis on, on what makes them feel good. If I, just, if I, if I read the Bible, my day is going to be good. Right? Oh, man, I didn't read the Bible today. I have, I have such a horrible day. Well, let me ask you a question. Just because you read the Bible, does that mean you have a relationship with God? Yeah, often if I forget to read my Bible in the morning, guess what happens during the day? I start remembering a lot of the verses I read the day before. And I meditate on them, and then I go back and I start reading. Because of my love, faith produces a love for God. A love for something does not produce faith. Salvation is by faith alone. Because of God's work alone. The second thing that you need to take away from this is that it's about the heart. It's, about, it's always been about the heart. Abraham's faith was a surrendered heart. When he had faith in the Lord, he had surrendered his heart. The circumcision that, that, that the seal and the sign that Abraham produced in, in circumcision, it was always about the heart. God wanted the heart. He wanted our soul to be separated and restored into a right relationship with him. It's about the heart and not about outward rituals and good deeds. You can do everything right and be rotten on the inside. I want, it's about being right on the inside so you can actually produce that which is good on the outside. 
We have a lot of believers today that just are miserable. It's because their relationship is just humdrum, joyless. It's all about doing things, and it has nothing to do with their relationship with Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 22, starting in verse 20 for a little bit of context, says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. I like that. This is very simple. It's not based on, all the promises of God are not based, praise the Lord, they're not based on how good I am. I get to enjoy the promises of God solely based on his goodness. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. We're missing our brother back there, always amens. (laughs) I miss my amen over there. It says in verse 21, it says, and it is God who establishes us. Hear that? It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is our seal and guarantee of our relationship. It's about the heart, guys. The seal that we belong to Christ, or uh, look at me, I'm a Christian, is not because of what I wear, it's not because of, of running around with, you know, it's, it's whatever you think a Christian is, because you wear a cross or because of this or that. I'm not, I'm not, I like crosses. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we're not a Christian because of all the stuff. We're a Christian because of what's in here, what God has done. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's interesting the way that God talks about Abraham in Hebrews 11:8. You know, the chapter that's all about faith. A lot of those heroes of the faith that, that never saw the outcome of their faith until they went home to be with the Lord. Hebrews 11, verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed. Wow. Hear the order. This whole passage is about order, the befores and after. Obeying doesn't produce faith. Faith produces obedience. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Here we're called. When you, in your heart, you have been called, you, you, it's like God has tugged on your heart and you know that you need him. He's called out to you. He's restored your ability to see him. You know that you need him. He's made you alive. The Holy Spirit does that. And he saves you. You have faith in that work of Christ. To go out to the place that you will receive as an inheritance. That you've been called to the family of God. By faith, Abraham obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Does it sound familiar? By faith, we don't know where we're going, but we trust. We don't know the day from today to next, but I know the Lord. We say God is great all the time. That's a great theology. God is great. We can look through all of Scripture and say that God is great, but that really means that God is in control. 
How many of us believe or we actually live like God is in control? Right? A lot of times we, we say something, but we're not actually living it out. But Abraham did by faith. By faith. Obedience implies an inward attitude of respect and honor as well as external acts of obedience. If you trust him with your heart, if, if you've repented and turned and you surrendered your heart and you believe and you have faith in the Lord and he is great, then you're going to be obedience from your heart, which then transfers to the outward things in your life. God gives you the strength to be obedient because of his righteousness that's accredited to your account. Now you have something in your account to live out. You see how it works? But if you're still trusting in yourself, then you have nothing in your account to actually be obedient with. Because it's not good. It's not right. It's just you. It's just selfishness. It's just humanness. It's just pride. It's just whatever you want. It's all feelings. If it feels good, great. I'll do it. If it doesn't feel good, then great. I'm not going to do it. But when you have God's righteousness, you have something in your account. Now you can be obedient by faith. A great discipler, counselor, pastor, theologian. He writes many books we have in our library. Jerry Bridges, he says this. He said, faith is not only necessary to salvation, it is also necessary to live a life pleasing to the Lord. Faith enables us to claim the promises of God, but it also enables us to obey the commands of God. Faith enables us to obey when obedience is costly or seems unreasonable to the natural mind. That's where I always tell you, right? If you read scripture and it's telling you to do one thing and you say, man, that's contrary to the world. The world says do this, but I'm reading this and you know that you're, you have the right interpretation. <laughs> right? Because... God's culture is always counter every other culture in the world. You'll notice that every culture in the world is based on self. God's culture is based on faith and his work. It's based on him. That brings us to the last application to this, is that the Christian life or being a part of Christ's family, being a Christian is supremely a life of reconciliation because it crosses all social, national, and cultural barriers. Has nothing to do with social, has nothing to do with national, and it has nothing to do with cultural barriers. Uh, barriers. Let me, let me, I'm gonna step on a few of you political toes. America's never been Christian. Let me just tell you. I mean, yeah, there were a lot of Christians that helped found. I'm not saying that it, they didn't. The society we live in. But our culture is not Christian. We're not trying to build a, na a nation of Christians. We're trying to save people from hell. We want people to have a right relationship with God. And, if, and that will affect our culture, Right? But that's why faith in the Lord, our Christian life, crosses all social, 
all national and all cultural burials. Barri burials. Barriers. It'll bury culture. <laughs> It'll bury nations. <laughs> Let me just get it out there. Uh, I can't, uh, for some reason, I'm stuck on burial. <laughs> this certainly is a crucial point to Paul, right? And the Roman church. Because it was all about the Roman culture. It was all about the Jewish culture. It was all about social, national, cultural things. And he's saying, no, 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 wait a minute. It is all about Christ. You've forgotten. It's about faith. In Acts 15, if you keep reading, we see this all the way down in verse 9 after Paul was saying you had a hard time with all these Jewish people that are coming in and saying you have to be circumcised to be saved. In verse 9, he said this. He said, and he, that is God. Well, let's go back to verse 8. It says, and God who knows the heart. There we go, back to the heart again. Verse 8, it says, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. I'll give you a hint. If somebody's heart isn't tethered to the work of God, then everything on the outside is going to be wrong, culturally, socially, and nationally. We'll view each other wrong. We'll make distinctions that are wrong. We'll like what is wrong because our heart will be wrong. It's not, the, it's not what's outside that Jesus said that defiles us. It's what comes from within. We get so stuck on, we're like, oh my goodness, there's a, there's a, when we see sin culturally, we go, ah! I'm like, I was reminding a few of our men this morning and last night, I was like, you guys have some of the same problems in your heart. You think about these things. You may not act like the culture, but you have some of the same thoughts. <laughs> right? If we were honest... That's what faith does. It says, man, I am not good. I have a negative account balance. Praise the Lord for what God has given to me. He took all of my sin out of my account and has transferred in all of Christ's righteousness. And that's what we get to live our life by. That's how we cross all barriers. Don't worry about it. We worry about the heart. I love my favorite things still to this day. It makes me sad sometimes. My favorite thing is when Kedrick was four and we had to go get our blood drawn. And uh, so I, we did Kedrick's blood. And we drew his blood and he had to get a test because we didn't know what kind of antibodies he had because we had no history. There was no history of Kedrick's life before four. So we're trying to, and they wanted to give him all these shots, and we're like, we're not doing that. We're not going to poke him. If he's been poked, we're not poking him again. So there's a test that you can do. So we drew his blood, and, and I had to go get my thyroid checked, so I had to go get my blood drawn too. So I went in, and we drew Kedrick's blood, and he thought that was pretty great. He's like, whoa. I didn't know liquid came out. <laughs> he, he's like, hey, just like Kedrick fashion, can I do that? He looked at the doctor and said, can I do that to my dad? I was pretty impressed. He thought I was dad. 
He was like, I'm like, and the doctor, I thought there was no way. And he said, sure. Dad, is that okay? <laughs> I'm like, do I be wimpy dad or do I be <laughs> courageous dad? I'm going to be courageous dad. Sure, go ahead. Poke me. <laughs> doctor took Kedrick's hand, took the needle, and he poked me and then let Kedrick draw it out. And as the blood came out, Kedrick goes, Wow! We're, are we, what's in the inside is exactly the same. Dad, we look different on the outside, but on the inside, it's exactly the same. What's in the heart matters. What's in the heart matters. It's not the outward stuff, guys. But if you don't have Christ in your heart, if he did not save you, then you have no righteousness accredited to your account, and all you're doing is, is running after stuff to feel good. It doesn't work. It just destroys your life. Yeah. What's in the heart? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's all through Scripture, guys. It's a heart issue. What are your desires? What are your passions? That's what you're worshiping. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. The greatest treasure we have is Christ. It's Christ. We can obey God because of our love for God. Because of what Christ has done for us. How big is the cross in your life? The bigger the cross, the more appreciation, the realization that we're just sinful people. And we look at people differently. Do we need to hear often about faith alone? Yes. We're going to hear about it again next week, but from a different illustration. <laughs> Paul is a repetition. He knows we need it, but from a different illustration. Let's become professional by faith alone in Christ alone, that all our justification is, is claimed by the work of God in our life. Let's pray. Lord, I pray if there's someone here that is struggling, that they would surrender and realize they have nothing in their account that is declared right, that they need the work of Christ, him dying on the cross. He can't just know it. Knowing it doesn't save us. It's what's given into our account. And that only comes by surrendering and stop trusting in ourselves and putting our faith in you just as Abraham did. His circumcision wasn't an act of justification, but just a sign of who he belonged to, that he belonged to God. The Holy Spirit that is in our life as a believer, when we, when we put our faith and trust in you, when we surrender to you, you have given us a sign. We, we get baptized as a sign, not as, as a salvation, but as a sign that we belong to Christ. We belong to his work, and because we belong to his work, we are raised with him. Because it's not our righteousness. It's not the right, we have no right in our life. We have no good in our life, but we have given to us as a gift. Not something that is due, due to us, but we have a gift the work of the Lord Jesus Christ when he died on the cross to take our place, to pay for our sin and rose again 
eternal, to an eternal gift that is kept for us. A, a one-time gift that is, keeps on giving. It never ends. Lord, thank you so much for that. And I pray that, Lord, that if someone here hasn't surrendered and turned to you, that they would do that this morning and begin that relationship with you. It has nothing to do about the things that we desire on the outside or in the selfishness that they would, and that we too, that we wouldn't get caught up and those that have been set apart and sanctified and, and that you are working on, that we'd realize that maybe our desire, maybe our heart is wrong and, and it's caused us to have a wrong view of you, Lord. That we call you Lord, but we give preference to other things in our life and that we would declare you Lord of all things, and that you would be our desire. Lord, thank you for the faith that you've brought to us. Thank you for the work. Thank you for the righteousness now that we can have in our account to do that which is right in your eyes, to be obedient. By faith, we can produce obedience, and by obedience, things change in our life. So no matter what somebody's going through on the outside, I pray that they would surrender their heart on the inside. And that through that, your righteousness would begin to change their life in all areas. Surrendered to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.